Tonight on Strange Heartland, we explore into the mind of Herbert Baumeister, also known as the I-70 Strangler, was an alleged serial killer from Westville, Indiana, whom authorities believe that from 1980 to 1996, Baumeister murdered up to 27 men in Indiana and Ohio. With that said, roll the theme music. literally (laughs) literally okay so yeah what have you been up to mike uh what have i been up to i've been up to well they launched classic wow so i've been playing that in my free time um i also got involved with a (laughs) also got involved with a local wrestling promotion kind of helping them out because they need somebody who's uh, coming from the outside and can kind of look at things from a different perspective aka how to make money so uh trying to help them out there um so yeah that's kind of been where i've been at what have you been up to i started a new job two new jobs i'm now a teller at a credit union and i'm working at kohl's seasonally um i've been doing my fitness page and getting ready to do for all you rachel hollis fans out there who listen to us getting ready to do the last 90 day challenge so yeah, last night we went out to celebrate before the big... We I don't even know what this thing is. What is the 90-day thing? What the last 90-day challenge is the concept that you take the last three months leading to the first of the year and you motivate yourself to get to the level that you want to be motivated for when you start the first of the year. So you start waking up early, you start using that time to be productive and be doing the things you need to do like writing stories so we can get this podcast going um drinking more water working out giving up a food group for 30 days um or just in general something for 30 days like if people out there wanted to give up like nicotine or drinking like that is the same thing so yeah we went out last night um and enjoyed some adult beverages because that's got a lot of sugar in it and i'm giving up sugar and junk food but the main thing that i want to touch on here is that going with this I am terrible at darts, but last night. Oh, that's not where I thought you were going with that. For the first time in my life, I beat somebody at darts, and I cannot say how happy I am. I am so happy. It was such a close game, and then you threw two darts at the end, and you're like, pew, 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 pew. So, yeah, I mean, if you follow uh, Jory on her fitness uh, Instagram page, which is Sugar Skull Fitness. Sugar Skull, how do you say it? Sugar Skull Fitness. Say that three times fast. Sugar Skull Fitness. Sugar Skull Fitness. Sugar Skull Fitness. Sugar Skull Fitness. Boom, 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 boom. Sugar Skull Fitness. But if you're on there, uh, then you might have seen when she was doing a story that the score kept going up while she was recording. And she's like, it's going to be a tight one. I was talking shit. That's not what I thought you were going to talk about. What are we gonna t- oh, we're talking about the uh, Glastic Cup. Glastic. My epic party fail. We were at Hacienda, and we both got margaritas. And somewhere while my fat ass was shoveling chips into my mouth, I 
knocked my glass over and it broke. But when it broke, it sounded like glass. But then we were like tapping on it with our fingers and our nails and it sounded like plastic, did it not? Yeah, it sounded like plastic. So we decided to call it glastic. Yeah, and then we got into a debate with the waitress about what it was. And she was like, no, it's glass. And if you're breaking it on, you got to pay for it. She did not find us nearly as entertaining as we did. Oh, well. (laughs) Whatever. But we're here to talk about uh, some serial killers and stuff, huh? Yes, we are. This so what do you week, got? we are going to be talking about Hubert Richard Baumeister. Baumeister. Did I say that right? Her- Herbert Baumeister. Baumeister. All right. You ready to get into this? I'm ready. All right. You're leading it, right? I hope so. I didn't study this. <laughs> This is all on Jory, so if it's factually inaccurate- Mike is going to take over the next story, because Jory's been doing a lot of research. If it's factually inaccurate, we're going to blame it on Jory. It's not. Okay. So, Mike. Yes. We are talking about Hubert Richard Baumeister. Baumeister. You know who that is? Uh, He is a serial killer, right? Yep. Here, local in Indiana. Good old Indiana. Yep. This is some of the finest weirdos in the United States. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) Can't argue with that. Okay. He was an American serial killer in Westfield, Indiana, who was suspected of murdering over a dozen men, specifically men, in the early 1990s. Although not confirmed, he claimed the lives between 11 to 20 victims, which possibly spanned anywhere between the 1980s and, the, and 1996. Oof. So let's get into his early years, way before Hubert was um, taking the lives of men. So he was born April 7th, 1947 in Tarkenton, Indianapolis. Nobody make fun of me. I know from the moment that I could talk, I could never pronounce that right, and everybody in my family never lets me forget it. So I already know. Indianapolis? Indianapolis. Well, how do you say it? Am I saying it right? Indianapolis? Indianapolis? What are you saying? Say it again. Indianapolis? That sounds right, yeah. Holy shit. Indianapolis. Indianapolis. You got to make the nap part really hard. Indianapolis. 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 (laughs) All right. His dad was Dr. Hubert. He was a... Do you remember what he was, Mike? No, I do not. <laughs> don't make me... Okay. I don't. I don't. What is he? <laughs> what was he? What was he? I know. I'm going to botch this word. What? Anesthesiologist. Anesthesiologist? Anesthesiologist. What's his name? Dr. Hubert Baumeister. Dr. Hubert Baumeister Sr. was an anesthesiologist yep. at the Indianapolis something hospital. Okay. All right. And his mother was Elizabeth. Did not find anything. Was she a housewife? That's what I'm assuming for the time period. You know, I mean, he didn't start murdering people till the 1980s. So obviously when he was a kid, it was was a mom's boy. Probably. I'm just making assumptions here. I don't know his character, but he is suspected of killing a lot of people. So (laughs) I'm assuming it's not very good. Yeah. Okay. So he was the eldest of four children. Uh Uh-huh. Later... Um, earlier in his age, the family moved to northern Indianapolis um, in a town called Washington. So going into talking about like how overall Hubert was in his childhood, for the most part, they said in his um, early years, he was he was pretty normal. There wasn't anything abnormal that like, you know, anybody was worried about. For the most part, he was a happy, healthy guy just doing his own thing as a kid. And there was no complaints. 
It wasn't until like his early preteen years and later in his teenage years when the personality traits really started to change in a drastic measure. So mm-hmm. um, basically from what I read, he began to form an obsession over things that were in the category of vile and disgusting. Um, Very macabre. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of that word before, but in the article that I was reading, they said that he formed a macabre sense of humor, which when I looked it up in the dictionary means gruesome and horrifying. Mm. Um, At some points, it seemed like he was losing his ability to know right from wrong. Some of the things that he was rumored to do in um, acting out was that he peed on his teacher's desk. Oof. Why is it like in a 90s movie if he probably would have peed on the teacher's desk? Like, that would have made that kid cool. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, in 90s movies? Yeah. Every man. basic 90s movie? Oh, man. Look at that. I'm going to take a shit on the teacher's desk. Yes. Yeah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> or in John Mulaney's bit, they talk about, um, he talks about the time that the kid that everybody didn't like decided to throw a party. Oh, no, that his dad was a teacher and nobody liked the teacher. And his son decided to throw a party, and he goes, so we all got up and decided we were going to go over there, and we trashed the place. And it's like the next day, he was like, somebody took a shit on my dad's computer. Yeah. Generation (laughs) X, man. They were a bunch of (laughs) shitbags. That's my brother's generation. Oh, yeah? He's a shitbag. I can Uh, listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Does he listen to this podcast? Uh, Probably not. Because he's a shitbag. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you. All right. Not really. Jumping yeah. back into it. So, due to the changed behavior uh-huh. and his peers taking notice of that, they kind of started distancing, distancing themselves away from him. I mean. Hey, Hubert's a fucking weirdo, man. Pete on the teacher's desk. He's outside poking that squirrel for like 12 hours. What a weirdo. Yeah. Basically that. Um... That's how they all start out, though, isn't it? They yeah, if you think animals. about it, like... Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Killing animals and stuff. Um, Ted Bundy was, like, weird like that, even though, like, he had a freaking fan club when he was in court. I mean, if you think about it, if you look at most people who commit crimes, yeah, they have, like, a really, like, distant... Like, they're not empathetic. They're really interested in, like, tearing things apart. It's very strange. So, eventually, his teacher did end up reaching out to his parents about his behavior. um, That it was overall disruptive in class. And um, just overall very violent behavior that the school was starting to take notice. So, his parents, out of concern about about the unusual changes... They did decide to have him sent for a series of tests and medical evaluation. Um, they had him basically go through the ringer on this to figure it out. And, uh, did he they was, find out what, what was wrong with him? He was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder and schizophrenic. Ooh. Yeah, being schizophrenic, which feels like a double whammy. Mm. After Hubert was diagnosed, his... Get this. I don't get this. Dude, if my kid was diagnosed... With being schizophrenic and multi-personality disorders, I would buy, be buying every book, finding what therapist works for us, and doing everything I can to help my kid have a like a happy, normal life and dealing with what he's been diagnosed with and working with him or her. So are you saying that 
They decide Baumeister Sr. and Elizabeth Baumeister of Indianapolis did not follow through and get him. They treatment? did not. They decided not to seek medical attention wow. from him or anything. Like from what like I was reading, like that blew my mind. Like you paid for a whole bunch of series of tests, which I'm sure wasn't like any cheaper back mm. in the day. They probably thought, hey, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they decided not to seek further treatment, seeing as it was the 1960s. And, and so this is the reason why they decided not to go with it, was because electric shock therapy, where mm-hmm. they put the things on your temples, yeah. was one of the most common treatments for schizophrenia. Electro- so I kind, of under- I kind of understand to a point, mm-hmm. like after I read that, because I'm like, well... At the same time, like a lot of people who had that done, like even people who had like the lobotomies done for mental illness, there was like memory loss. It was, they were worse off after they took that treatment. They were basically vegetables. They weren't anything. They were getting fried. Yeah. Yeah. Like pretty much fried. But I mean, at the same time, I would still be like, okay, well, we don't want to do that. What's the other, you know, possible thing we could do. But then again, looking at history... You know what I mean? Like, I'm conflicted. Like, I can say a whole bunch of stuff, but then if I actually, like, would yeah, sit down pe- with a history book and look at the time period and what doctors would be saying, you know the doctors would have been like... Isn't that weird, though? That, like, I don't know, just looking at, like, antiquated practices that medical professionals used to use is so... It's, like, barbaric most times. It's so yeah. weird to, like, look back at. <clears throat> yeah. Like, seriously. Like, with, um... Even down to Kentucky at the uh, Waverly Hills Sanatorium, when it was a tuberculosis uh, clinic, they used to have like an open air porch and they'd wheel like their patients out like in the middle of the freaking uh, winter and like because of the cold air and just like let them be outside like all day long out in the winter. Like it was just so weird. And they have like this infection. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm not about that. (laughs) I don't like being cold. But anyway, that's for a future Back episode. Back on track. We're talking so. about Hubert Baumeister, serial killer of Indianapolis, Indiana. <laughs> we sound like we're on a radio show. I do happen to work in radio. <laughs> okay. So, we have, he just got diagnosed with schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, did not seek uh, further psychiatric treatment, and then what happened? So, tell me more about Herbert Baumeister. So that's pretty much enough for like his younger years. Um, Basically, as he went into, um, well, actually, just to backtrack a little bit, that I have something in my notes. Um, Probably the biggest reason, also, that I read why there really wasn't another option for him, like drugs and all that, was because it wasn't until the 1970s, like when drug treatment would take over. Okay. Um, so for those who were being treated with drugs, they did not, like, they didn't have to stay, like, in the institution. So, like, they didn't even decide, like, hey, is there, like, like a 12-step program that Huber can go through where he can kind of stay here kind of in solitude? Can we get him some, like, therapeutic help, have him talk to somebody, maybe go through Is some... it Herbert or Hubert? Did I say? It says Herb. Herbert. I think it's it's Herbert. Herbert. Say Herbert a couple times. Herbert, Herbert, Herbert. Herbert, Herbert, Herbert. Just normally, just say Herbert. Herbert. 
Herbert such a Baumeister. Herbert Baumeister. What have you been calling him? Hubert? Yeah. Like Hubert? <laughs> like the <laughs> yeah. little orange dude? So I'm going to cut that in there. <laughs> Herbert. Herbert. Good old Herb. So yeah. Um, there's just a lot of interesting points that you could make on that case. Like, it's interesting that they just didn't decide, like, okay, you don't want to do the electric shock therapy. Or, like, what about the people who couldn't afford that? Like, did they not have, like, an A or a B or just, like, anything that wasn't drug-related? I feel like way back when, that was, like, the biggest time where they were like, drugs, 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 surgery, surgery, surgery. Like, we have people you can pay to fix you type yeah. era. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, there was no other record or confirmation if Herbert um, was receiving any drugs on any forms, any treatment at all. There was no documentation of anything that they did after they found out what his diagnosis was that they were doing to treat that. So Poor Herbert. He went on to complete high school. Nice. Um, he barely was maintaining his grades. Nice. Socially, he tried hard to, like, be accepted by, like, the football and sport clique. Same. Um, <laughs> Wait, is this me? <laughs> God, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> um, he finished in high school. Can't talk today. So he did finish his high school years out alone. Um, they said that, like, he had made, like, multiple attempts to like be part of the group and accepted over the course of his high school career, but he just didn't really stand a chance. So I guess like he tried really hard. Like he would try to like wait after practice and like catch up with them Mm -hmm. and try to invite himself. And that just didn't really work out. So now fast forward to college on 1965. So yeah, right there. He didn't even, he wasn't in college till 1965. So Clearly, even if there was, there really wasn't any drug treatment back there. Sorry, guys, I keep harping on this, but like. Jory's a fan of drugs. No, I'm not. Oh, she's not a fan of drugs. I hate, oh, I hate prescription medicine. I hate it. I feel like there's always different forms of way that you can be treated. That's a lot natural. Okay, so flash forward, 1965, Herbert headed off to good old IU, Indiana University. Go Hoosiers. <laughs> so just like in high school. Go Big Red. He was back in the same seeking boat, you know, socially. Bloomington, um, Indiana. Due to his strange... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, what state do you think that he would have fit better in? Uh, none. <laughs> Come on. We're, Arkansas. We're weird here. I don't know. No. They're fine people out there in Arkansas. <laughs> All right. It's got to be Indiana. We're known for being weird. <laughs> Children of the corn. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, he goes off to IU mm-hmm. and he's right back into that plummeting seeking boat of, you know, being socially awkward, you know, due Oof. to the same strange actions and odd behavior. Same. He ended up dropping out of his um, first semester of college. Okay. Um, but he did return back to IU after pressure from his father. I guess his father was like, dude, you're going to go back like any normal parent. And more what? than likely, he was probably paying for him to go to college. So what was he studying? Um, we get to that in a second. Oh, so he kind of hopped back and forth from different things. He never really stuck with a lot. Yeah. But ironically enough, when he finally went back, 
he decided to study anatomy for a short <laughs> period of time before dropping out again. There's your flag. Yep. <laughs> Red flag number one. Mm. The biggest one out of them all. So, even though he was in and out of school, IU was the main stage for um, setting him up to meet his later on wife, Julianne. Juliana? Ju- Juliana, yeah. I'm like botching everybody's name yeah, today. Yeah, you are. All right. So, Juliana Sant Sater? Sater? Probably Sater. Sater, Juliana Sater. Um, who was in college for um uh, Oh no. I'm sorry. She was already done with school. Um, she was a high school journalism teacher as well as a... Oh, wait, no. She was a part-time student at IU. I am sorry, guys. Like, I've really done a lot of research for this, and I just don't think I've been behind the mic for so long. Don't make any puns. Okay, so she was a high school journalism teacher as well as a part-time IU student. Okay. So they had a lot in common. Yeah, so as unlikely as it would seem... The two actually had a lot in common, which spanned from their political beliefs in conservative, I can't say this word, guy, conservative. Extremely conservative. Conservative (laughs) ideology, and both had hopes to open their own business one day. In 1971, they were wed, and six months after, for no explained reason, Hubert was committed. He stayed for a total of two months. So he ended up right back where he was with getting diagnosed. So in 71, they married, but then like six months into the marriage, he got committed to a hospital? Yep, for no explained reason. And he stayed for a total of two months. Wow. No reason at all. But did they stay together after this? Yeah. So like, Hubert is just, or Herbert, I want to name him Hubert. Maybe he would have turned out normal if his name is Hubert. Hubert? (laughs) So, Herbert is just a really interesting person when you read like his like his whole like life story and everything before yeah. he leads up to the nitty gritty stuff because like he's not really consistent with his behavior. So he's diagnosed with schizo- being schizophrenic. He's diagnosed with having multiple personality disorders, which I guess in a way, if you have multiple personality disorder, you're not going to be consistent. But even then, when you have multiple personality disorder. Normally, you see those distinct different, like, character abilities. Mm-hmm. It's just not always really easy to detect, you know? Um, but for the... But you know what I mean? Like, okay, so he's weird in high school. He gets diagnosed when he's in middle school. It just seems like he's just one big weirdo. It just seems like he kind of floats around, you know? Like, I... <laughs> I just don't know how to describe it. Like, you know, like, when you read Ted Bundy's story, you read other people's story, you're like, okay... I can kind of see this unfolding. I can see where this is going type uh-huh. type thing, you know? Th- yeah. This this was a long time coming, what's about to happen. But it's like he's like one foot in and one foot out. Right. You know what I mean? There was it no... It kind of seems like he wants to be normal. Yeah, like he's actually... Like, like he's, he's got a wife. Like he's, he's, he's fighting it. Like he's right. actually trying. Yeah. So, um, lucky for Herbert, um, this did not sway Juliana's love for him. Didn't raise any red flags for her. Should have. Yeah, absolutely should have. And um, nothing that would end their marriage over his odd behavior. Mm-hmm. 
Like nothing. So, so, so Baumeister's father managed to pull a little bit of strings, sugar somebody up. Because he was a what? Um, he was a prominent anesthesiologist. Ooh, nice. Got <laughs> it. Yeah, he did. Anesthesiologist. <laughs> All right. And he got Herbert a job as a copy boy at the <gasps> Indie and- Star. Oh, no, it's all connecting together. Isn't that crazy? The Indianapolis Star. When I was those researching bastards. this, I was like, oh my gosh, our episode before this was Gary, Indiana. And That's how many be times did we talk about the Indie Star? Every time we talk about Indy or Indiana, we have to go Dude, through the Dude, I'm Indy so Star. mad that I, when me and Ashley went to the Backstreet, Ashley and I went to the Backstreet Boys concert. In we walked Indianapolis, right underneath the Indy Star sign. And I was like, "We need to get a picture of this when we come back for the podcast page." It's and then I got connected. drunk and I forgot. <laughs> it was a fun night, though. So anyway, Everybody. Daddy got him a job. Daddy got him a job at the Indy Star. Yes, he did as a copy mm-hmm. boy, Ooh. and also doing other errands. It was a very low end position, but. Baumeister dove into it head on, eager to start a new career. Um, this is where I get confused by him. Like you said earlier, like he just seems like. Like, yeah, he has no ambition. He drops out of school. He's yeah. really violent and he's weird in high school. But then his dad gets him a job and he like he jumps in and they put it like he immaculately like woke up every morning and he was like Rachel Hollis level. Tony Robinson level, let's do this shit, man. I am the paper boy or copy boy. (laughs) I am the paper boy. (laughs) He's like, let's do this. Yes. (laughs) So. Oh. So obviously there's a trend. Mm -hmm. You can tell by now there's a trend with, with Herb. He is desperately wanting to be accepted. He That's is right. wanting his own identity. He right. is wanting to be a somebody. He, he cares. He, he cares a lot, tremendously it, a lot about what people think about him. It's like he's aware that there's something wrong with him and he's he wants to be normal so bad. Talking? But yeah, he desperately needed acceptance. Right. So, so. in all of his efforts to gain positive feedback from... Um, like his bosses, his and boss stuff. and his yeah. peers. So anyway, things are not working out for him, no matter how hard he tries. So he obsessed over ways to fit in with his coworkers and bosses, but never succeeded. So sounds mm-hmm. a lot like high school, high school again. Yeah, with the football team. And everything. Yeah, and the football team. So mm-hmm. poor Herb, soured and unable to handle his. Why are we saying poor Herb to a serial killer? <laughs> I don't know. He killed so many people. He's not I poor know, Herb. But if maybe he, people would just accept him. He was the I seventy strangler. You don't get a nickname like that if he's uh, if you feel bad for him. That's very true. I don't know. I just feel like sometimes if people would be more proactive, like okay, I know this person's weird, but maybe if we show them what right from wrong looks like, he won't kill twenty people. He won't kill twenty people. Maybe he'll be like, oh, ooh. I don't know well, why yeah, it was like that. Yeah, this is like a bad that. call. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> if only that's how it worked. So um, mm-hmm. he eventually left the position for a job at the BMV. Beep, beep. Oh, really? Yeah. So, okay. Now this is all coming together now. This you're is he's going to he's going to work at the BMV. You're telling parts of the story that people don't even know yet. <laughs> huh? 
You're telling parts of No, this- it just makes sense that he would snap and start killing people if he works at the freaking BMV. Are you kidding me? You have to deal with people who are like. Do you think tired, he was like the sloth from uh, Zootopia? Maybe. No, I think he's probably. Do you know just, what I'm talking about? The sloth. Yeah. He's like. He's probably just going Flash. insane, honestly. Or was so his name BMV, Dash? What was the name of the sloth's name in Zootopia? I have no idea. Dash? I don't know. Okay. I mean, like, okay, so for people who are not familiar with the way things work in Indiana, we have to be different. So. Like what you're used to being called the Department of Motor Vehicles, the DMV, we call it the Bureau of Motor Vehicles because we're so extra. So the BMV. When we say BMV, bastards moving vehicles. When we say BMV, we we are referring to what you know as the DMV. All right, Jory, continue. Alrighty. So once again, he has a new job. He's got a new job. Okay. It's entry level. All right. Hasn't moved up very much. With an entirely different attitude. I don't know, mm. like, does that mean from the attitude from when he left the last job or like more heightened attitude? Like Beyonce versus Cardi B level? Cardi B versus Lizzo hype? You're talking about things I have no knowledge of. What do you mean? What are you, what are you saying? I'm talking about music artists. Well, what about them? Like, is there a beef right there? What are you talking about? No. What'd I'm you say? What is his level of excitement for this new job? Is it like Beyonce? Like, yes, I got this. Never mind. I'm weird, guys. I'm dealing with it, but I still don't want to kill people over it. So, mm-hmm. with a entirely different attitude, at the newspaper, his demeanor was childlike and overeager, is yeah. what they say, displaying hurt feelings when his expectations for recognition were not met. But that was not the case at his new job. Here, he immediately came off bossy and overly aggressive towards his co-workers and would lash out at them for no reason at all. It was as he was playing a role, emulating what he perceived as being a good supervisory behavior. So obviously, Uh, once again, same trend. Dire need for recognition. Dire need to be somebody. Just anything. In his head, he was concocting up like, what should make me feel good? Like, what can people do to make me feel good? And I'm going to take the reins to make that happen. Mm. Like, this guy literally has no social barrier of, like, anything. Mm. Like, what doesn't fly and doesn't. So, anyway, crazy behavior. And his, um... So, he just he just didn't know, like, appropriate behavior. No. Yeah. No. Like, he was the definition of the, the video they show you when you right. start a new job. Right. About how to act around people. Uh-huh. So, one year, he sent a Christmas card to everyone to work that pictured himself with another man, both dressed in holiday drag. Ooh. So, that's kind of scandalous and a little hmm. different. Yeah, back for the early 70s, yeah. Yeah. Um, you saw the humor in his, in his card. How would you feel if, like, two of your, like, one of your coworkers got a guy dressed in drag and like sent that to you. And like if if you knew he was married to a woman named Juliana? Yeah. Uh I would be raising my eyebrow. Raising my eyebrow. Raised eyebrows. I think I'd... it takes very few to be able to pull that off and be married. Yeah, for sure. Like you have to know like that's somebody who like makes everybody laugh, make jokes all the time. Mm-hmm. His wife is aware that he pulls off crazy stunts like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't just, like, one day be like, all right, everybody's going to think this is funny. Mm-hmm. So, what was the talk around the water cooler? So, there was raised eyebrows. 
um, that Bonmeister was a closet homosexual in a nutcase. What? That would not fly today because there are a lot of people dressing in drag and have twisted sense of humors, and that is not what people would be saying. The 70s was just a really weird time, man. Mm. So, after working at the Bureau for 10 long years, and despite his poor relationships with his co-workers, somehow, Baumeister was recognized as an overall intelligent go-getter that produced results. He was awarded with a promotion to program director, but by 1985 and within a year of the promotion, he had so yearned for, he was determined after he urinated on a letter addressed to the governor oh. of Indiana, Robert D. Orr. Again, with the peeing on things. Like, that's how you go out? You pull your pants down and, and you, you urinate on the letter addressed <laughs> to you from the governor of Indiana? Right. So, um, this act also put to rest all the rumors to who was responsible for the urine that was found on his manager's desk months earlier. So, he did it before. He did it in high school, too, then. He was the one. Yeah. Like, he's a serial peer. They were, they were on to something back then. Like, what? All right. So, nine years at this point. This is nine years of marriage for Herb and Juliana. At this point, they had started a family. Marie was born in 1979. Eric, that's an interesting way to spell Eric. I've never seen it spelled like that. I would name, I would pronounce it E-Rich. E-Rich. <laughs> <laughs> this is E-Rich Bombmeister. It sounds like a DJ name. In 1981, that was when Eric, a.k.a. E-Rich, was born, and Emily followed in 1984. Okay, so before he lost his job, things seemed to be going pretty well. Mm-hmm. with Julianne and the marriage and everything. So she had quit her job to become a full-time mother. So actually we found out what... Um, oh, wait, no. That was his mom that we never found out what what she did for a living. So mm-hmm. she had left like most women did um, in the 70s. They were stay-at-home moms still. A lot of them were nurses, but she left her job. Um, but shortly returned to work when her husband could not find steady work. So, Herb, as a temporary stay-at-home dad, I don't even want to know how weird that was as children interacting with him. Herbert proved to be a caring and loving father to his children. See, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, he's so erratic in his behavior, but right. then, like, oh, he's he's actually, like, a decent father to his kids, and his wife is, like, in love with him. Mm-hmm. And none of, like, I'm sorry. If my man came home and was like, I lost my job. I'm like, Again. why'd you lose your job? I urinated on my manager's desk and I urinated on a letter I was sending to the <laughs> governor of Indiana. I would be like, there's something wrong here. <laughs> I'm going to go call a cab. You're going to let me leave. You think he was like into like uh, pee play at home? Oh, You think God. he liked to pee on his wife? That's a thing. I don't think he would have three kids if he was into that. I don't know. Some people are like that. Mm, that's disgusting. I'm not kink shaming. That's disgusting. That's <laughs> so disgusting. Okay. But being jobless left him too much time on his hands, and unknown to his wife, he began drinking a lot and hanging out at gay bars. Gay bars. Oh. So. It's all coming together. Enter in. That's not the right term I want to use. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he was. Oh, gosh. 
So here we have more weird behavior, like out of nowhere, and we have no history as far as we know at this point. Like, did he go to gay bars? Weird, weird for the time. Did he like, make a move on the quarterback? You know, in yeah. high school. So weird for the time. You have to put this in perspective. It's the mid '80s. A lot of straight men didn't go hang out at gay bars. Yeah, that's very true. Okay. Plus, this guy's just a weirdo. So. All right. So, in September 1985. He received a slap on the hand after being charged with a hit-and-run accident while driving drunk. Oh, <laughs> a slap on the on the wrist for hitting somebody while he was drunk and, ran, and running away? man. Oh, it's my god! It's the gosh. 70s, man. Well, it was 85. Yeah. So, flash forward six months later, mm. he decided he was going to uh, steal a friend's car and conspiracy to commit theft. Huh. And he managed to beat those charges as well. Wow. So he was charged with stealing a friend's car. This guy's pretty slippery. And yeah, seriously. And conspiracy to commit theft. Like, wow. what does that mean? Conspiracy to commit theft. I know what the word conspiracy means. Like, uh, I think it's probably just you have a plan laid out to. Like, and you're just not following yeah. through with it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. like, you got you caught while. Well, yeah. In the meantime, he never really held down a steady job since the BMV. He kind of. Bounced around to a lot of different jobs. It wasn't until he began working at a thrift shop. At first, he disliked the job, felt himself to be, you know, beneath, that was beneath him. But then he saw that it was a potential moneymaker. So over the course of the next three years, he focused on um, educating himself and learning the trait of business. In 1988, Baumeister borrowed... 4000 from his mother, and he and Juliana opened a thrift store, which they named Save-A-Lot. Oh. That blows my mind that you found this. Like, yeah. I, no, I, well, I don't think I've ever cared to know the history on Save-A-Lot, but that's crazy. So I, I, had, I knew that at one point, like, the person who started Save-A-Lot was arrested for murder. I didn't realize that it was this guy, and he was arrested for, well, he well, never got arrested. Well, I didn't even know that Indiana, he, like, Save-A-Lot, that was... It's home. Like, I didn't realize that it was a thrift store. Like, when we had it up here, it was like a discount grocery store. Yeah, well, that's how I've always known it growing yeah. up, too, mm-hmm. you know? But I guess it started out as a regular thrift yep. store, like Salvation Army or so, whatever else. Goodwill. Herbert and Juliana stocked it with gently used quality clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it had furniture and other used items, and a percentage of the store's profit went to the Children's Bureau of Indianapolis. So, hey, they raised money. That's nice. Um, it grew into popularity and business was, you know, it was going well. And it showed such a strong profit in the first year that from um, that Herbert decided to open a second store. And within three years, the couple, um, I mean, at this point, they were living paycheck to paycheck, obviously. You can't. Yeah be really making a lot when you have one spouse bouncing around from job to job. Exactly. So basically they came into a lot of money and they were living nice. They were living large for that time. So. Ooh, 1991. That's the year I was born. Um, The family moved into their dream home. It was an 18 acre horse ranch called Fox Hollow Farms in the Mm. upscale of the Westfield area. Ooh. So that means we're getting into the nitty gritty here soon. Yeah. It was located just outside of Indianapolis in Hamilton County, country, county, county. No, I said it right, Hamilton County, Indiana. Um, their new home was large, it was beautiful, and it was basically like a million dollar mansion, which had all the bells and whistles, including a 
a writing stable and an indoor pool. So, wow. I mean, I don't think it's so crazy how people open these stores because like save a lot is not like a nice upscale place to shop at yeah. mm -hmm. and people just make millions off of it. Well, he certainly did. Yeah, he did. So remarkably, Baumeister had turned into a well-respected man and he was seen as a successful businessman, a family man who gave to charity. So, so weird. Have you noticed that with serial killers, though? <clears throat> They're like, they do a lot of good things in the long run to mask all the bad shit they do. I am not familiar with that trait because I'm, I don't, I don't get into the serial killer things <laughs> like you do. Like you're all about that stuff. I'm like, give me I'm ghosts. I'm psychology. Give me and ghosts. Why give people, me demons. <laughs> I like, I'm, I don't know. Do the ID channel, uh -huh. like snap, like, yeah. I don't know. Psychology interests me that what drives a person to do this stuff because I would never imagine doing any of this stuff to anybody. Yeah, and this is yeah. crazy. So okay. Fox Hollow Farms becomes very important later on in our story. Yes, it does. So what was not so ideal was the stress that came with the couple having to work so closely together each day. I mean, that's a common thing. It takes a really strong couple who are really going to know their boundaries and know how to communicate and work together because very few people can work with like their significant other. So from the beginning of the business, um, Herb treated Juliana like an employee more than anything and would often get aggressive with her for no reason. And to keep the peace, she would just take a back seat to whatever business decisions he, he would make basically. But eventually, slowly that started to take a major toll on the marriage. Unknown to outsiders, the couple would argue and split up on and off over the next several years. Bummer. All right. Enter one of the biggest major scenes into this story, the pool house. Mm. All right. So overall, the Baummeisters um, found money-making business, save a lot, had a overall reputation for being a really nice clean. It was an, organ an organized store. Um, but the opposite could be said about the way Baummeister kept their new home. The grounds that had always been meticulously maintained began to become overgrown with weeds. Hmm. The inside of the home was as equally neglected. The rooms were messy, nasty. Um, it was obvious to visitors that housekeeping was a low priority for the couple. So it's kind of odd that when you're making that kind of money that you don't have a housekeeper. Yeah. That you live in that big of a house and right. you don't have any help at all. It is weird. Sounds like he's beginning to go through another episode. Yeah, like like he's going to be cycling again. Um, in other areas that Baummeister seemed to care about... Um, okay, so basically the only thing it seemed like he gave any kind of crap about in that house was the pool house. He kept the wet bar stocked and he filled the area with copious decor including mannequins that he dressed and placed around to give the appearance that a lavish pool party was going on. What kind of home alone okay. sadistic shit is this? All right. <laughs> like Now we're getting to it. You think he went shopping for the mannequins, like personally? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> he probably, well, he probably had access to them because he was running a thrift store, so he had to, like, model the clothes and stuff. Probably had no, to hook up. I bet you he spent money on what they were wearing. Like, if he, like... No, no, I mean, like, the mannequins themselves. He probably had the hookup. Oh, yeah, he probably had the mannequins from Save-A-Lot, but I mean, like, the clothes that he put on the mannequins. Uh, he probably, you know, bought nice stuff. Yeah. That's so weird. The rest of the house displayed the hidden turmoil of the marriage. 
for Julianne to kind of escape. The three children in her would stay with um, Herbert's mother at the Lake Wawasee condominium. Like everybody else, we just ignore what's going on and we just kind of shy away from, her from Herbert. Um, his wife would leave, go stay with his mom, take the kids, and obviously he would stay behind, you know, to quote unquote, stay behind to run the stores. Right. Or so he told his wife. Mm. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. All right. 1994, the Bondmeister's son, 13 year old E. Rich, just kidding, Eric, <laughs> was playing in the wooden area behind their home when he came across a human skeleton that was partially buried. He showed the remains to his mother, who in return showed it to her husband, in which he perceived and told her that it was his... Okay, this is funny. I've heard two different takes on this. I've heard he told his wife that it was his father, like his father's remains that were buried in the backyard. And then um, another article said that his father had used skeletons in his research and that after finding it... While cleaning the garage, he had taken it out to the backyard and just decided to bury it. Interesting. Like what? Huh. I mean, That's either either weird. way, whatever story he came up with, like, right, dude. And she believed it, huh? You could have said it was like, well, maybe we're on burial ground. Like, of all the things you could have said, none of those like line up. Right. So guess what? Hmm. She believed him. Wow. I would not believe Juliana, him. Juliana, what are you doing, girl? I would be mortified. Like, no. What is going on with you? So not after long, the second st um, his second store opened, and his business began to lose money. Mm. And it just never really stopped. So once again, here comes his drinking problem again. He would start drinking during the day and return to the stores. He would be belligerently drunk and would act in inappropriate ways to his customers and employees. And the stores went from being orderly to looking like garbage, basically. Um, all right. We're almost done, folks. So. Yeah. Stores going to shit. Second, like right after they opened the second one, huh? Yeah. So, and unknown to his wife. How do you make billions of dollars off of a thrift store? Is what I know. Yeah, I know. Baumeister would be cruising gay bars. And then would return home and retreat to his little pool party uh -huh. where he would spend hours whimpering and crying like a child about the dying business. Mm. But he don't want to get up off his butt and do nothing. Right. His wife was exhausted from worry and bills were starting to pile up and her husband was acting stranger and stranger every day. So never question when he had a breakdown all those years ago for no reason. Never thought to, you know, write that in the will. Dad needs to make sure that he gets his mental health taken care of. Mm -hmm. So Mental health, though, I mean, until recently, it was kind of like you just kind it was of shoved very taboo. in. Yeah. While they were trying to fix their business. And in his marriage. In the marriage. There was a major investigation about murder. Mm, centering around. Going on in Indy. Yays. The yep. homosexuals are turning up dead in Indianapolis. Which is really sad. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Virgil, Virgil Van Griff. No, you have to say it. Virgil. Virgil. It has to be in a monotone voice. Virgil, Virgil. get over here. Virgil. Virgil Van Griff. I cannot imagine being, being married or making love to somebody named Virgil. Oh, Virgil. Give it to me, Virgil. That's gross. <laughs> 
I'm sure Virgil is a very nice person. Probably. Virgil Vandergriff. Oh, he was a sheriff. Yes, okay. he was a sheriff. Very respected. Mm-hmm. Retired from Marion County. Um, who, in 1977, opened Vandergriff and Associates Incorporated, a private investigation firm in Indianapolis which specialized in missing person cases. So this guy is a bona fide, a badass. So almost a week later, Vandergriff received a call from another distraught mother about her missing son. In July, Roger Goodlett, 32, left his parents' home to go out for the evening. He was going to a gay bar in downtown Indianapolis, but never returned home. Both Broussard and Goodlett shared similar lifestyles, looked like one another, were near to the same age, and seemed to vanish while en route to a gay bar. So, so far, we got two victims. Yeah. Both male. Uh-huh. Similar well, in age and yeah. from around the same area. Yeah. So we're establishing that Herbert has a type. Yes. We very much are. We don't know what that type is because we haven't seen pictures of these two individuals. But they are very uh, closely, they closely resemble each other. Yes. So, so in attempts to find some <clears throat> kind of clues and connections as to what happened to both these young men... Vandergriff made up missing posters and distri- distributed them at gay bars around the city in hopes to, you know, make a lead on anything. The family and friends of the young men were interviewed, as were several customers at gay bars. The only real clue that Vandergriff received was that Goodlett was last seen willingly getting into a blue car with Ohio plates. Ohio plates? Well, that's interesting because our boy Herbert has always lived in Indiana. It but seems it's like, actually right? said, been said that I've seen in notes that some of his murders pushed as far into Ohio. Yeah, but he didn't have an Ohio car. Right? No, yeah, but I mean, you can if you're a murderer, you can still get Ohio plates and be like, "Oh yeah, this is me," and then drive them all the way back to Indy. I mean, most serial killers are pretty committed to what they're doing. Huh. Um, he had also received a call from a publisher of a gay magazine who wanted to make Vandergriff aware that there had been multiple cases of gay men disappearing all over Indianapolis in the past few years. So, at this point, there's a lot of... Um, at this point, everybody's pretty. It's safe to say everybody's convinced that they were dealing with a serial killer. Right. Vandergriff went to the Indianapolis Police Department with his suspicions. However, and unfortunately, searching for disappearing gay men was apparently a low priority. Shocker. Let's look at the time period here. Most of the investigators believed more than likely the men just moved out of the area without telling their families to freely, <laughs> freely live their lifestyle their of gay choice. gay lifestyle. Like, <laughs> I think it's like... This is sad. It is. Yeah. It is, and the sad yeah. part is there probably were a lot of people who did do that. Like This is typical Indiana, though, you know? It's just sad. It really is. Vandergriff had also learned about an ongoing investigation into multiple murders of gay men in Ohio. The murders began in 1989 and ended in mid-1990. Bodies had been found dumped along Interstate 70, were dubbed the I-70 murders. In the local newspapers, four of the victims had been from Indianapolis. So at this point, you know, Vandergriff is 
you know, looking into this case, not even sure if it's like related, but I right. mean, at the same time, there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, mm-hmm. the victims are all gay men, solely gay men. And what's the likelihood that a number of them are from Indy? Right. With weeks of Van Griffin's posting the missing posters, he was um, contacted by Tony Harris. And that's not his real name. It was a yeah. made up name for yeah. his request. So. Yeah, so a fictitious name who said he was certain that he had spent some time with the person in question that everybody was trying to hunt down responsible for Roger Goodlett's disappearance. He also stated that he had gone to the police and the FBI, but they discarded his information. Vandergriff um, then set up a meeting and in a series of interviews that followed a bizarre twisted tale started to unfold. According to Harris, he was at a gay club one night when he noticed a man who seemed to be overly captivated by the missing persons poster of his friend, Roger Goodlett. This guy is friends with the guy that went missing. And basically what he decides to do is he's like, I think that's the guy who killed my friend. And he decides to, you know, go wherever he's going to try and get out of him like a confession, basically. As he continued to watch the man, there was something in his eyes that convinced him that that was the man, that th- like that he knew something. So like he's like, you know, I was watching him. There was something about him that wasn't, you know, right. And I just, I feel like he kind of knew something about my friend's di- disappearance. So to try to learn more. So yeah, this is basically what he's doing. Like he's like, I'm grieving. I want to know what happened to my friend. He goes up and he introduces himself to supposedly... Herbert, and the man said his name was Brian Smart. Here we go. So that was his alias, though, huh? Yeah, so Brian Smart is his alias. Mm. And that he was a landscaper from Ohio. Mm -hmm. When Harris tried to pursue um, bringing up his friend, Goodlett, Brian would become evasive. Evasive? Evasive. (laughs) Como estas? (laughs) Evasive, you know. Evasive. Yeah. And would would change the subject. Mm Mm-hmm. As the night went on, um, Brian invited Harris to join him for a swim at his house where he said he was temporarily living. Ding, 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 ding. He said he was doing the landscaping for the new owners who were away. So, obviously, Harris, wanting to get to the bottom of his friend's disappearance, he obliged and he got into um, Mr. Smart's Buick, which had Ohio plates. Ding, 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 ding. Hmm. Um, Harris was not familiar with northern Indianapolis at all, so he was unable to say where the house was located, which makes sense. That would make sense why he started pushing towards in Ohio, because he was probably bringing people in. He's like, well, they're not going to know the area. Something goes wrong, they're not going to identify me. He was able to, you know, describe the overall, like, area, the surroundings, you know, the description of the house having horse branches, and it was a large, you know, immaculate home. Uh, Harris had also described a split rail fence and a sign that he could partially see that red farm. Um, the sign was at the front of the driveway that that smart had turned into. Could it be Fox Hollow Hello Farms? Farms? Find out next week. Continuing into his story, Harris describes a large home which he and Brian Smart entered from the side door. He described the interior of the home as being congested with a lot of furniture and boxes. As he followed Smart through the house and out of the um, and down some steps to the bar in a pool area that had mannequins set up around the pool. Ding 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 wow. ding. 
smart like dude he really set it up for like detailed subscription of like where he was at like wow um smart had offered harris a drink which he um politely turned down as brian smart excused himself and when he returned he was a lot more talkative harris suspected that he had snorted some drugs preferably cocaine um, at some point, Smart brought up... Autoerotic asphyxiation. Sounds like a, an octane band. Are you ready tonight for autoerotic asphyxiation? So, Which for some of you people who don't know what that means... I don't know what that it means. Rem- it means receiving sexual pleasure from choking and being choked. Ooh. Yeah, not into that. Um... And he asked Harris to do it to him. Harris went along and choked Smart with the hose while he masturbated. Okay. This is so creepy. With the hose. Um, Smart then said it was his turn to do it to Harris. Again, Harris went along. And as Smart began choking him, obviously became apparent to Harris he was not going to let go. Mm-hmm. Harris pretended to pass out. And Brian Smart released the hose. When Harris opened his eyes, Smart began became rattled and said he was scared because Harris had passed out. So obviously right. he's like, oh shit, I'm going to play coy. Like, what? Oh my God, I didn't mean to do that. So apparently Harris was considerably like larger than Smart, which mm-hmm. is probably the only reason he survived. Um, he also refused drinks earlier in the evening that Smart had prepared. So Brian Smart ended up driving Harris back to Indianapolis and they agreed to meet again the following week. Hmm. Obviously, Brian, a.k.a. Herbert, is not very smart about this. Like, um, To find out more about Brian Smart, Vandergriff arranged to have Harris and Smart followed when they met the second time, but Smart never showed up. Um, Vandergriff, believing that Harris' story had merit... Um, once again, returned to the police to report it, but this time he contacted Mary Wilson, who was a detective that worked in missing persons department. And um, and I, uh, this was also a person that Vandergriff, like, he respected and trusted, so he felt like, you know, the story has merit. She's going to help push this to where it needs to go. Right. Um, she drove Harris to the wealthy areas outside of Indianapolis on the chance that he might recognize the house that... Um, Harris had described um, described to him that Smart had taken him to, but they came up empty-handed. It, was a, it wasn't until a year later that Harris would meet up with Smart again. Um, they happened to show up at the same bar one night, and Harris was unable to get Smart's license plate number. Um, he gave the inf- or he was sorry he was able to come up with Brian Smart's license plate number. So in return, he gave that information over to Mary Wilson, and she ran a check. Mm-hmm. And the information that they came up with was the license plate was matched, but not to Brian Smart, but to a Herbert Baumeister, bum bum bum, the wealthy owner of Save a Lot. As Mary discovered more about Baumeister, she agreed with Vandergriff that there was merit on this and they felt like they found their suspect. Tony Harris had narrowly escaped becoming a victim of a serial killer. Detective Mary Wilson decided on a direct approach and went to the store to confront Herbert Baumeister herself. She told him that he was a suspect in an investigation and several missing men cases. She promptly requested that he allow investigators to search his home which, of course, he refused and told her that 
in the future, she should um, go through his lawyer. I just don't understand. How, how, how does he have Ohio plates? Like, I don't understand that. Like, I just never even thought about that. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm not a serial killer, but I'm... <laughs> yeah. But, like, well, okay, you know well, what? I'm going to go to Ohio well, and buy a car this? in Ohio and get plates in Ohio. Okay, well, think about this. The guy has tons of money. He's already doing stuff his wife doesn't know. He could easily afford to probably buy, like, a little, like, plot of land or a house in Ohio and have it... Because can't people have double residencies? Well, yeah, you can. And you would still have to pay taxes, like, in that area? Like, you know how, like, you... If you live in one county and you work in the other, you still have to pay two separate county taxes? Uh He could have easily hit all that paperwork, and he could have easily went to the BMV... Because obviously the plates were registered under Herbert, not Brian Smart, his hidden alias. Right. And that's how I could think that he logically actually physically got plates that were valid. And he just thought he would, you know, would be able not to get caught, that they'd ever get ran. Interesting. Herbert says, you know, don't come here again. You just need to go through my lawyer. So Wilson then decided to, you know, try his wife, approached her, told her the same thing that she had told her husband hoping to get her degree to a search over the property. Obviously, Juliana being very coy, even though everything that they've been through in their marriage, off again fighting and already, you know, their son coming across a skeleton. Juliana acted as though she was shocked by what she was hearing and also firmly refused. Next, Wilson tried to get Hamilton County officials to issue a search warrant, but they also refused. They felt that there was not enough conclusive evidence to warrant it. So this guy is just like been dodging bullets for most of his life. Here we are in a nutshell down into the, you know, the melting pot of everything unfolding. Herbert Baumeister appeared to go through an emotional breakdown over the next six months. By June, Juliana had reached her limit. The Children's Bureau canceled the contract with the Save-A-Lot stores and she was facing bankruptcy. So basically at this point, like her eyes are starting to open. Like she's been lying to herself for so long and living in this fantasy world of, you know, making up all these excuses for like, you know, well, he's kind of weird, but he's really sweet to me. And when he didn't have jobs, he took really good care of the kids, you Mm -hmm. know, and things haven't been great, but he came up with save a lot and we wouldn't have this lifestyle, you know, like all that kind of crap that people do. Yeah. To, you know disguise in a nutshell what's really going on in front of their faces mm-hmm. so um and at this point so was her loyalty to to herbert i think she was starting to realize that her husband was you know basically deranged you know mm-hmm. that he wasn't all there it's finally yeah. starting to come together that something's not right and it's kind of it, weird that the fuse it was took that- so long though because it seemed like it's been years since but, things have been okay but <laughs> drives me insane is like there were plenty of red flags That something wasn't right. The biggest thing that had not left her subconscious was when she sent, when she first spoke to Detective Mary Wilson, was the haunting image of the skeleton that her son Eric had recovered two years earlier. Right. And obviously, we know that she had believed her husband in the story that he had come up with. At this point, she was deciding that she was going to file for a divorce and she was going to tell Mary Wilson about the skeleton. He had also decided that she was going to let detectives search the property. Herbert and their son Eric were off visiting Herbert's mother at Lake Wawasee and so she basically was like this is the perfect time that I can you know get somebody in here to file the divorce papers issue the warrant and everything so you know she picked up the phone and she called her lawyer and she started getting this stuff moving 
June 24th, 1996, Mary Wilson and three Hamilton County officers walked out into the grassy area just feet from the patio area of the Baumeister's home. As eyes began to focus, they could clearly see what appeared to be small rocks and pebbles. Scattered all across the backyard where Baumeister's children had played were bone fragments. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, obviously... From how things were unfolding, Mary He's Wilson. not very good at disposing bodies. No, he's not really good at he's any of this. He's just got bone fragments hanging out in his backyard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like on top of everything. Yeah. It's like that movie with Tom Hanks, um, yeah. The Burbs, and the dog's playing with a bone. He goes, oh, yeah. um, do you know what kind of bone this is? He's like, a dog bone? He goes, no, this is a themer. He's like, where'd you get this bone? This is big. He's like, it's a themer, which hmm. is part of your leg. Right. Great movie, by the way, if nobody's ever seen it. All right. So, obviously, Wilson knew that this was going to turn out to be human bones, so they're pushing forward in this investigation, like, hardcore now, speeding along. However, the Hamilton County officers were uncertain. Um, fortunately, in less than a day, Mary Wilson got confirmation from a forensic scientist that the rocks were indeed fragments of human bones. The following day, police and firemen swarmed the property and began excavation. Bones were found everywhere, even on the neighbor's land. Like, how sloppy are you? Well, he's a very sloppy individual. I well, mean, his house and I is think a mess. this also goes back to that he, in his mind, he just wanted to be known for something. Like, he literally, I think he just had a fucked up sense of, like, the identity that he wanted to possess. Like... And I think that goes back into his multiple personality disorder. Because, like, so far, the major personalities we've seen so far, um, being the biggest one being this weird, you know, serial killer personnel, but um, trying to have that superior, like, boss authority with, like, a loose cannon, you know, anger. We've seen the acting father... Um, we've seen the guy who's trying desperately to, you know, fit in with everybody. So we've yeah. seen, like, for the most part, we've seen some relatively number of personalities that stay the same within the same quadrant. Like, it's mm -hmm. never like, I. it's not like Glass where he's like, I have 36 personalities in my right. body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that was a good movie, by the way. Those were it. great movies. Yeah. Um. So, they are excavating the land, and in a matter of days, ready for this number? Mm-hmm. 5,500 bones and teeth were found in the backyard. Wow. Um, a That's search, a lot of bodies. Yeah. A search of the rest of the property produced more bones. By the time the excavation was complete, it was estimated that the bones were from 11 men. Mm-hmm. However, only four victims could be identified. Among them were Roger Allen Goodlett, 34, Stephen Hale, 26, Richard Hamilton, 20, and Manuel... Resendez? Resendez, thank you, 31. And they only they could only estimate between 11 and 20, and that could have been more, because it's so hard when bones are like all scattered over the place. Yeah. And they could only identify four... And two of them, um, they had already had a lead on. So they only were able to identify two more after the whole search. After the police discovered the bone fragments in the backyard, 
Juliana began to panic, obviously, about, you know, what they had discovered before. She feared for the safety of her son, Eric, who was with um, Baumeister. So did the authorities. So, um, Herbert and Juliana were already in the beginning stages of their divorce at this point. So, it was decided that before um, the police discoveries at the Baumeisters hit the news, Herbert would be served with custody papers demanding that Eric return to Juliana. So, at this point, there she's kind of in a mad scramble to be like, I don't want my son to be right. around this. Like, yeah. obviously, you know, I feel like I've been catfished. What mm-hmm. the fuck? Um... I've <laughs> been catfished. Um, Help, I was catfished by a serial killer. <laughs> Tonight at eight. Could you imagine, like, Neve and Max, like... <laughs> okay, so... Going out to Fox Hollow Farms. Thankfully, when Herbert was served with the papers, he, with no problem at all, turned his son over without incident, um, figuring that it was just a legal maneuver on his wife's part. So the sad part about all the victims and for the families was before they could even go to trial, some unfortunate events happened, which is really sad. Those cases always make me so sad that they know for sure who the victim is. And then these families don't even get any like resolution. They don't get any relief. They don't get any closure, any justice, like nothing like so, once the news of the bones had been recovered on the Baumeister um, property and was being broadcasted and syndicated all over national television, Herbert Baumeister vanished out of nowhere. It was not until July 3rd that his whereabouts would be known. His body would be discovered inside his car in an apparent suicide. Baumeister had shot himself in the head while parked at... Pinnery Park, Ontario. Canada, right? Yeah. He went to Canada. Mm-hmm. He had written a three-page suicide note explaining his reasons for taking his life were due to his problems with his with the business and his failing marriage. No, that wasn't all of it. There was no mention of the murder victims scattered in his backyard. That's so weird. Most of the time when a serial killer is going to kill himself, they normally, like, confess. They, like, let it all out. So that's kind of interesting, like... But maybe it's not. I mean, he did have multiple personality disorder. And he was so it doesn't... So maybe yeah, he actually... I don't know. Maybe he didn't think that he actually did it. I don't know. Yeah. It's strange. I guess we'll never know because he blew his brains out. All right. Rip. So um, finally, we... So with the help of his wife, she was able to help investigators of the Ohio murders be pieced together. They were finally able to link it to the I-70 murders. Mm-hmm. Receipts provided by Juliana showed that Baumeister had to travel along I-70 during the time that the bodies were found dumped along the interstate. A sketch down from the description by an eyewitness who thought he had solved the I-70 murder looked a lot like um, Herbert. So bodies had um, coincidentally had stopped showing up along the interstate at the time the um, the family had moved into Fox Hollow Farms where he had plenty of land to hide bodies. So, I so, mean, like, he, like, thought this out. Kill, then? If they found 11 bodies at Fox Hollow Farms, but there were bodies scattered along I-70, how many people did he kill? Well, it said in the beginning, like, in my notes, it said 11 to 20. 11 to 20. But oh, I wow. have a feeling that there were probably more than that. You think so, huh? Well, if you think about it along the interstate, how many of bones could have been picked up by animals? So, that's the story of, of Herbert. Herbert Richard... Baumeister. A.K.A. the I-70 Strangler. 
So, Jory, where can they find us? All you people can find us on Instagram as well as Twitter at StrangeHeartPod. And for those of you who dare, can find us on Facebook. Oh, yeah. We do have a Facebook page. We do. We just neglect it but because we we're all about the gram and the, and the Tweety Bird. Yeah. So you can find us there. You can find updates on what's going on with us. I know this has kind of been a slow rolling process. We're aware of that. Um, but we're working on it, mm. like we say every episode. Yep. But you can also listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and pretty much anywhere you pretty listen much, to yeah. your podcast at. Google Podcast. I mean, we're we're everywhere. We're so, everywhere. Yep. Estranged to the Heartland is here. So with that being said, the conclusion of our story of the I-70 Strangler. I'm Mike Waterhouse. I'm Jory Seegers. Good night. Good night. Don't get in cars with strangers. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> you have Here, to play the music. It's got to be like this. It's got to be like the I-70 Strangler was an alleged serial killer from Westfield, Indiana. Authorities believe that from 1980 to 1996, Baumeister murdered up to 27 men in Indiana and Ohio. Tonight on Strange Heartland, we do something. <laughs> we talk about it. We take a Christmas card picture and drag. Good night. Good night. Roll the theme music. I never get to say that. <laughs> I don't say it like that. No, oh, do don't. you want to do the open? How do you uh, right I don't want to do the open. open. I was just making fun of you. And that's all I have right now. What? That's all I have right now. That's all you have. That's all I have right now. For him? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Where's the rest of your stuff? I don't have it because I haven't done it yet. Oh. <laughs> I was expecting you to banter more with me to fill time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want me to print this article I found? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we suck at this. <laughs>